You are listening to Currents, a podcast of Big Ocean Women. Today is part of our at-home interview series, interesting discussions from my home to yours, and our guest is Rebecca Pierce, author, community activist, and mother. Our discussion will be about getting involved in politics within our communities and why that might be the best way to make the biggest change. The Currents podcast aims to gather women who are deliberate thinkers, women who are prepared to engage as powerful sources for good in their homes, their communities, and the world. I am today's host, Shelley Spots. Welcome to the show. All right, Rebecca, you wrote a great article this month, and it's called Votes in Small Elections Have Big Impact. And we would love to chat with you about your opinion about voting and being active in the community political scene and what you feel about how important it is for us to get involved. Um, I know I have a lot of teenagers. You have a lot of teenagers slash young adults. What do you tell them when you're talking to them about how to get involved in voting? So I come from a position of, um, I had parents that basically told me that if there was something that I didn't like that was going on in my life, that I could change it. And um, I think that kind of drives who I am in the sense that if you don't like the situation you find yourself in, you change it. And you can change it in being part of the solution and trying to find your your place to work from within, or you can leave, which is something that I, you know, I don't think ultimately serves the best interest of anybody because I think society as a whole is better when we are diverse and that we have multiple viewpoints because I don't think that one, one viewpoint um, serves the greater good at any, at any one time. Um, I often with my kids will try to, and we've, we've battled this quite a bit. We live in Davis County, Utah, which is very conservative. And we, I wouldn't necessarily call us liberal, but we are definitely more liberal than most of our neighbors and our people that we associate with. And so we have socially liberal anyway. Um, we have had several instances where things that we talk about in our home, our kids will come home from school and our kids will say, well, we were talking about this in school today. And um, everybody was like, well, this is this. And, and I said, well, what about that? And everybody looked at me like I was crazy and I, and I didn't know what to say. And so we'll talk through a situation with them. And, um, and it, it's an interesting, an interesting phenomenon because I think a lot of times we teach our kids or our kids learn from our example. They parrot what we say. They think about what we say. And I don't know how many times um, as parents, we stop to explain why we believe the way we do, why we think the way we do, what it means to think the way we think or, or why we have the convictions we do. So we have a lot of conversations in our house about um, important social events. So, um, you know, in Centerville, Utah, where I live, there is not a huge black population, right? So right. Um, the whole Black Lives Matter thing is not something that comes to the forefront very often. Although we do have several black people that live in our neighborhood, which has been a fairly recent development. However, it would be very easy to just ignore that because it's not something that affects my kids daily life. 
but they want to know why is that such a big deal in all these different places? Why are, what's going on with the police and what's going on with this? And so we sit down and we've had some very, um, very interesting discussions about racism and what it is to be, you know, a racist and what it is to be anti-racist and what it means to have, you know, discussions about institutionalized racism and how our country is set up and all these different things and go through historically and talk about it. My, um, I have a, uh, I'm from a background, a very um, strong historical background. My dad is a civil war nut slash aficionado. You can use whichever term you um, decide. But he and my brother have both written books and we've done a lot of research and done a lot of touring and done a lot of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, as we watch this discussion about monuments and all those kinds of things, a lot of it is context. And so we try to explain to our kids about context and why things are the way they are and why they were, you know, what, why they started the way they started and how we evolve. And right. so I think, I think um, as far as being politically active and being involved, you have to put things in context for kids and in context for yourself. And you say, okay, we're here now and we were here and we want to get to here. And what we're doing is, working or not working and we just have to figure out what it is that is best for the society we live in now to get us to where we need to be and right. that's hard because not everybody has the same goal of where they want to see our society but you know i hope and this is my goal in being involved in politics is because I figured out a long time ago that I can't control everything around me, which was a big shocker, that I can control my little corner of the world. And my little corner of the world constitutes being kind to people, even if they're different than I am. So my politics, hopefully, are kindness. And hopefully, I'm old enough and wise enough at this point in time that if I can't say something nice, I don't say anything at all. Or I at least couch it in nice terms. <laughs> Which I think that is um, a sticky point when it comes to politics, because I know when I talk to my older daughters who are 20 and 22, and I talk to them a lot about being more involved and being politically aware, at least, being active in knowing what's happening, that one of the reasons that they give me for not wanting to be involved is this sense of uh, negativism, where everyone is rude or condescending to those who don't share their points of view. And so they've said to me, I don't, I don't feel comfortable getting involved because I feel like people are attacking me or I, I don't like how negative it all is. And at the same time, we know it's important to stay involved and to be really aware of what's happening. How, how do we get kids to be involved, but to still try and or how do we try and influence the political situation so that we can have some of these difficult conversations without descending into the negative attitudes that sort of pervade everything? So for me, a big part of that is involvement in, for kids, I think in organizations as they're in high school, junior high and high school, being involved in leadership organizations. But the biggest part for me was becoming involved in the PTA when my kids were little because of being an advocate for my kids, because it became really apparent that there are a lot of 
for, for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, you think, oh, well, that parent clearly doesn't care about their child because they're not a member of the PTA. That's not true, okay? That, you know, they may have other things going on in their life that just causes them to, that they can't be involved. But there are a lot of parents who are completely apathetic. Hold on just a second, I'm closing my door. Okay. Who are completely apathetic about the PTA or about what's going on in the schools and they feel like, hey, I'm just gonna send my kid to school. They go on field trips, they do the stuff, it doesn't matter. And they just want what the school does. But they don't right. understand the way a school works. They don't understand the, the, you know, the school gets money, the state gives the school a certain amount of money, the, the, you know, there's the trust lands fund, there's the, all these different things, there's community councils, there's the PTA. What does the PTA fund? What does the PTA do? And so when my kids were little and I was a dumb young mom and I had just moved here, I was like, hey, I need some friends. I think I'll volunteer to be on the PTA. And so I got involved that way. And uh, it was a real eye opener for me to realize that basically you can get, not get anything you want, but if you are willing to put in the work and you are willing to volunteer to say, hey, I will make this better or I will do my part to make this better, you will get a seat at the table. And that is what you need. You need a voice. And a lot of times people just don't know that if they speak up and are willing to put in the work, people are willing to listen to you and will respect what you're willing to do and right. work with you and not against you. That's my I, yeah, I think it's really important. I mistakenly, when my kids were little, um, believed that PTA, that all that the PTA did was plan the spring social and the dance festival at the end of the school year. And I remember when my oldest was starting first grade. So we had been in the school system for one year <laughs> with her in kindergarten and I get this phone call and I had volunteered a little bit uh, to go do like book trading at the book fair and a couple of really minor PTA things, but I hadn't attended many meetings. I hadn't really gotten involved. And I get this phone call from our PTA president that went a little bit like this. So we notice you've been a little bit involved this year and we're wondering if you would be willing to be the PTA president next year <laughs> because they had uh, their, their vice president moved out of state no one else was willing to do it. And I naively said yes and went, what have I gotten myself into? But you're right. It's very, it's very eye-opening to see how getting involved in even PTA in a school, you are able to change policy to really yeah. change the direction that the school is going. I know when I was PTA president um, at my kids' elementary school, and I did it for two years, but I was able to start a school orchestra, which 15 years later is still going at their school and has become sort of hallmark to our that, boundaries in our school district mm -hmm. and has changed the direction of the kids as they get into junior high and then into high school. Uh, and there's so much more that happens. Like for me, because I, I'm passionate about music, I'm passionate about the arts that was something that was important. But the PTA president who came after me was passionate about something else. And so we, we end up with this really varied, really rich community where everyone is contributing. Absolutely. 
And it's interesting because I have had opportunities since then because I got to know different people in my school boundaries that as we've had like different city initiatives who have come to me and said, okay, you know, this is on the city council's agenda. We're trying to get this initiative passed. We're trying to, would you be willing to speak in, in favor of this? Or, you know, this affects your neighborhood. Would you be willing to be a spokesperson for this? You know, so I've had several opportunities to go speak before the city council. Now that said, my viewpoint is more in the minority because I do live in a community that has been here since the pioneers landed and they all think things should be like they were in the 1950s but it's fine they'll die eventually in the good and old days <laughs> we, and we will get sidewalks it'll be yeah. great um but <laughs> it's just it's it's one of those things that i think people are afraid to say something because they're afraid to we can disagree without being disagreeable number one right i think part of being good in politics and being and and engaging in that is being informed. That's my biggest pet peeve I think about politics is people will just say things that they hear. They spout off things they hear on TV or they hear somebody say, and, and that's like with kids especially. My son will come home because he is of an age with a group of friends that is generally um, much different than the friends my girls had. And so right. they're a lot more conservative and he'll come home and he'll be like, well, this, this, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold the phone. That's not how it goes. That's not what it is. You know? And he says, well, they do this and they, I'm like, no, nope, that's not how it is. You know, or when my daughter got married and she married into a family that my, my son-in-law's family is fairly conservative. And, um, let me just say this and I'm, you can splice it and cut it three ways and say, I am not a fan of the president at all. So there you go. But, um, she's like, well, he did everything he said he was going to do. And I said, uh, hold up, dear. And she's Let's like, mom, I live with him and his family. I'm like, I get it. You play that there, but it does not sell at my house, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's hard. It's a hard thing to say because we do have to walk a fine line between saying we don't, you know, we have this conversation about what is real and true and what we can change and what we can't change and how can we survive and live and right. and my point in doing the article this month was actually um i had read a couple different things after the george floyd killing and was talking about police departments and um i have a cousin who's a state trooper in washington so he's a he's a, a highway patrolman or a you know he controls the capital he worked security for the governor for a long time up there and he is the guy that you will see on all the human interest stories. Like he stopped traffic on the freeway to help a little flock of ducklings across the freeway. I mean, he is the sweetest guy. When he told us he was going to be a cop, I'm like, are you kidding me? But he has done so well in law enforcement because he is one of those genuine people who cares about people. Like you need right. help. Let me help you. Let me get you to where you need to be. Right. And so I am the first person to say that there are a lot of police officers and law enforcement people out there who get a really bad rap. But there are a lot of people out there that, you know, abuse their power. And I have seen it in my own hometown. I have seen it all over, right? I think that that is something that is inherent to any time you have a large group of people in a position of power, that there, there is that potential. I think also that, especially in this situation, 
we are asking our police officers to do jobs they are not fit to do. We are asking Absolutely. them to be counselors. We are asking them to be welfare officers. We are asking them to address mental health issues. We are yeah. asking them the to social, do so many things. The sociologist side of me that that's where my degree's at says, you know, defund might not be the right word, but definitely we should be putting our resources into other social services so that the police are actually handling crime, you know, right. or the results of crime and not preventing the things that, you know, people are desperate and that's why they commit crime. Let's right. prevent the desperation. But yeah. my point in writing the article was so much of what happens in local areas with police departments, like in, you know, in, in the George Floyd case in Minneapolis or in Atlanta or in any of these instances where people have been killed by police officers, these police officers are beholden to a city and a mayor. And they are, or these people that are, you know, put in prison. There's a, there's a meme going around Facebook now about <clears throat> a guy who stole a backpack versus a guy who stole a whatever. And I, I don't even remember what it was, but the guy who sold the backpack was black and he d couldn't post bail. So he spent three years in Rikers and ended up killing himself. And the other guy got, you know, like three hours and time served and he was white and he was out and was fine. And there was, you know, it was the concept of, you know, could you afford bail? Could you not afford bail? And, and the, the idea to me was those little elections, those small elections, those municipal elections where the judges are elected. I mean, because I, I mean, I had no concept of, and still have very little grasp on electing judges. Because right. you go in there and you know you know who you're going to vote for for president. You've seen the ads, you followed the news, you've seen the, the stuff with the governor and you know maybe the treasurer. Although you know he's been the treasurer since you were in the third grade, so why not? He's done okay, right? But you get down to those other races and you think I don't know about this judge unless you've had a reason to appear in his courtroom. Generally, are you don't know them? You don't know what they're like. You don't know what kind of, you know abilities they have, where they went to school, what kind of biases they have and that kind of stuff. And I just feel like that's where the power lies. That's right. where the power lies that makes the rules that govern my life. And I, I really feel like that's the stuff that we should be, when I talk about, you know, being politically active in our corner of the world, that's the information that we need to know because that's the stuff that influences the life we live. I think you're I think you're exactly right. I think we overlook a lot of times the actions and the ways that we can get involved in our own communities. That sort of generative contributions that changes things, you know, it seems small, right? It seems like a small thing to do to vote for or to you know keep a judge in or to vote for your county commissioner, or to look at your individual Congress people, right? Mm -hmm. It seems almost inconsequential, but in the long run, I think those positions are the ones that are gonna affect our lives much more. And if we are looking at those small scale elections, but we look at them all over the country, mm -hmm. and we see change happening all over the country, it eventually does, instead of trickling down, it trickles up, right? And it can make some larger changes within the system, but 
I think the power of it is that it changes our individual lives within our own communities. And I think, you know, one of the conversations that I've had with my kids as we talk about voting is they say, you know, my vote's not going to make a difference. And when you're looking at a presidential election where there's, I think in 2016, they said 138 million people cast a vote. It is easy to think that our vote doesn't matter. But in one of our recent elections for a congressperson in the primary, the vote came down to like 58 votes yeah. between the two contenders for this primary election. And that is a case where your vote really matters. Yeah. And even on a national scale, I think in 2000, because of the setup of the Electoral College, the presidential election came down to something like 578 votes yeah. in one state. Yeah. So we, we do, we have this mindset that the problems are so large and the system is so huge that our individual contributions won't matter. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. Well, and I find myself, I mean, like right now, okay, so we are dealing with this COVID business, right? And I, I have never ever really given a second thought to voting for members of the board of education. I mean, like, unless I'd had a run in with somebody, I'd been like, oh yeah, you know, they're fine, whatever. Right. I'm, I may have asked my teacher friends about them and said, you, you know, what do you think of this guy or whatever, but I have never really thought twice about any of it. I will tell you that the next time any of the board of, any of the board of education in my school district comes up, I'm voting them all out because I have been not impressed with any of their well, responses to the way they've handled it. Now I think, and, and, and it comes from the trickle down. I mean, I just, right. but I have no confidence in any, I mean, I've seen other school districts across our state, across our nation, dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with them and they're dealing with them way more proactively than we are. Right. They're saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what the plan is. And not like, well, we really wish you guys would do this. Or we I'm like somebody just say, this is how it is. And when right. it changes, we will let you know. But right now, the unease and the stress and the strain that I feel like it's causing so many of us. I mean, me, I can only speak for myself, but I know that I'm not alone. I feel like going forward, I just, it could be alleviated by somebody just making a decision and i'm thinking well, you were elected to, to lead so lead to lead and even if the decision is a decision i think that people disagree with at that point there's a decision that's been made and you can have discussions around it right and you can say uh, okay you can right and you can come back and say all right that was a decision we disagree with it how about this and you can start to have some conversations but when there's no when there's just no decision that's been made and everything yeah. is really vague and really up in the air, it's hard to know how to handle things. And I know in our own, in my own district, and I'm lucky I only have one child still in the public school age, although I teach college and I feel very uneasy about going back to a normal fall semester. And it's not normal. We're supposed to be doing all these things. And yet I look at a lot of them and go, I am not sure how that thing is supposed to help me, right? Yeah. How that, that suggestion of how to handle my class is supposed to keep my students safe, keep myself safe. I'm, I'm not a 
28 year old teacher, I'm older, uh, but there's a lot of teachers who are older than I am, who are in their 60s and who you are high risk. don't have a choice to, except for to teach. Right. And it is, it's how they earn their living. They can't just say, I'm sorry, I'm uncomfortable coming back into the classroom. I'm going to sit this one out because otherwise they have no income. Yeah. And so they don't have the choices. But having at least something to work with right? Someone in the community who's making some decisions that then we can go back and say, all right, we like this part, this part we disagree with. Can we make some adjustments, right? I think that's, I think that's important. And just sort of this getting involved in our communities, taking sides. I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of people right now are wanting to keep this really neutral position because they don't want to offend anyone. And you used a quote in your article that I really like by Eli Weissel, mm -hmm. and I'm going to read it. It says, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men or women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must, at that moment, become the center of the universe. I think this quote really speaks to a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now, and not just on a national political level, but on a community political level, on an international scale where there's so many things that we are seeing that we need to get involved in. And I really appreciated your point of view about let's really, let's pick a side, let's be a critical thinker, let's stand up for people, let's speak out. Well, and there's and nothing to say that everybody has all of the right answers. I mean, the, the, the basis of good government is that nobody walks away happy, right? right? Everybody should walk away feeling like they haven't gotten everything they want. Government well, is about compromise. That is good the whole is. point of government is yes. compromise. And that has been that way from day one, from the beginnings, the Declaration of Independence was a compromise. If a compromise between the North and a compromise between the South and the slaves are property, no, they're three fifths of a person because they count for population, but they don't count for full people. I mean, and that was what it took. But that was what it took to be able to be able to declare independence. And we had that start. And yeah, it was a crappy start. But we started there and we moved forward. So we move forward a step at a time. And we just get there and we get there and we get there. But people are so afraid to keep trying to compromise. And so afraid to be seen as weak because they have to give in order to get. And that's the thing that we don't understand is that, you know, when we don't give any to anybody, we all lose. We all, we all need to be willing to give part of ourselves in order to make a better society. And there's not anything, and that's, that was the frustrating thing like with this school thing. I have volunteered with my daughter that was graduating. We were trying to figure out how to do graduation and all this different things. And I was calling the school and the school board and trying to, what, what can we do? How can we make this, this? And, and I was, I mean, I was, you know, my husband tells me I need to let it go, but I was treated quite rudely by several of these people. And I'm like, you know what? I have never in my life been treated as somebody who, if they're willing to do the work, was marginalized. Like, I'm not telling you this is what you should do. I'm telling you here, 
pick me. I will do this. I will make it happen. Like I'm willing to help you and I will do what you want me to do, but just let me help you because I realize this is too much for you to do on your own. So as, as citizens, I feel like that's what we need to do is we, we need to say, okay, our corner of the world needs help. What can we do to help each other? And whether it's politically involved or, you know, involved in schools or involved in, you know, social movements or what or whatever, but, but being informed on what's going on in your local level has more of an impact than what's been going on international level, because what's going on international level is, has no effect. And the fact that they're whipping that up to apply to what's going on in my life has no bearing on what happens in my daily life. Because if it did, I would move to Canada. (laughs) Um, What advice would you give to someone who wants to start getting involved? I would say that you need to register to vote. That is number one. My daughter who got married has not registered to vote at her new address and it it really ticks me off because I keep telling her she needs to do that. So you need to register to vote. You need to make yourself aware of who the candidates are for office. I would also say that you need to decide what is important to you. What matters to you at this point in your life? What do you see being important to you 10 years from now you know do you want to be able i mean for me who loves to travel do you know what a kick in the pants it is know that i cannot go to europe if i wanted to i could not fly where i wanted to fly if i wanted to go there and that is something that kills me i mean i am locked in and i i just you know you never thought you'd see the day right and so you look at where you what's important to you what kind of education do you want to have what kind of opportunities do you want to have for your kids what kind of what's important to you and and then i would say you know educate yourself one of the things that i did that was great i worked as a polling worker poll worker so i went on an election and i would get there at six o'clock in the morning and put all the little signs up and i stood there and had everybody fill out their books and show me their ids and and it was great. It was a fun experience. It was a long day, but it was a great way to see people and a lot of older people who really do not take the, their right to vote for, for granted. Right. I mean, I really wish people, I would make everybody watch movies about the suffragettes and make everybody watch movies about what it means to be able to vote. I mean, when I, I remember in 2000, it would have been in 2004, I voted at a Kmart and the line was so long and everybody was so gripey and moany. And I'm like, are you kidding? Afghanistan has been able to vote for the first time in like 30 years and they've walked for three days to vote. And you have to wait for 20 minutes in a line of tampons and you're mad that you have to wait to vote. Are you kidding me? I mean, the ability that we have to make our voices heard and as women and as minorities, and I mean, just, understand your history. You know, I, I just, I don't know. I'm just very passionate about it. I just feel like people just don't understand and they just take it for granted. So I guess education is the main thing I would just tell people, you guys got to understand what it took to get to the point that you get to vote and then understand where, you know, 
I mean, my, my, my thing has always been, if you don't vote, you don't get to complain. You have been listening to Currents, a podcast by Big Ocean Women. You can find us on the internet at bigoceanwomen.org, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Content for this episode was created by me, Shelley Spots. Our guest today has been Rebecca Pierce, an author, community activist, and mother of four. She grew up as the loud, outspoken child of quiet, reserved parents, and has never been one to shy away from a conversation controversial or otherwise. She enjoys listening to and learning about different opinions. Her recent article is titled, Votes in Small Elections Have Big Impact. The world is a big place and we are small people, but even small people can bring about big change. Our music is first drained by Ian Post, editing production by Fifth East Productions. Please join us again for in-depth discussion about interesting ideas and fascinating people who are trying to make a difference in their communities.